Well, this evening, I want to concentrate on something that quite a lot of people don't actually understand. You will often hear people say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to worship God and I'm going to show how much I love God by, well, I'm going to paint this house as an act of worship to God. I'm going to drive this car right across the country as an act of worship to God. But is that actually worship? Or what, what does the Bible say about worship? and Why is it so important that we understand it? Well, worship, as God, as God has laid it out for us in his word, is something which must be undertaken with the utmost seriousness, with the utmost reverence, with complete loyalty to God and carefulness. God has always expected and required worship. If you will turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. It's right back at the beginning of the story of the human race. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she, and she again bare his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, and but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the first things of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, incredibly angry about this. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt, not be, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And slew him. Cain was so upset that Abel had done the right thing and made him look bad that he murdered him. The first murder recorded in the Bible was because someone insisted on offering an act of worship to God that God had not authorized. It didn't go all that well, did it? It didn't go well after either. Turn over to the Gospel account of John chapter 4 and verses 23 to 24. That's John 4, verse 23 and 24. And these are the words of our Lord. He says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So how do we worship God in spirit and in truth? How do we do this? Is it not through studying God's word and following it to the letter? Or do we just make it up and go along with the best that we've got? Well, doesn't God expect us to obey his word? Quite simply to just follow after him? 
If God tells us to worship him in a certain way, then that's the way we worship him. It's quite simple. You see, then as now, God's prescribed worship, sadly by many, has been rejected. So you see, we either worship God's way or we worship in an unacceptable way. Turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, and he commanded, which he commanded them not. And they went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now these two men had been appointed as servants in the tabernacle to serve God. They were given instructions of how they were to prepare the worship sacrifices, how they were to worship God in the correct way. But they showed a disrespect to God when they decided to worship him however they wanted to, didn't they? That wasn't acceptable to God. Should it be? Should it ever be acceptable to God that we worship him however we wish? If I was God, this is what I would want people to do. How would you, how would you address something like that? Well, first of all, are they not putting themselves in the place of God? Well, are we not to doing be that? Godly? To be godly, yes, but to set ourselves up on the throne and decide what's acceptable and not. I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but just, just imagine if on Sunday morning we decided, well, you know, this morning, instead of having the fruit of the vine and some bread, we're going to have uh, Pepsi-Cola and some um, French fries. People would like that much more, but why wouldn't we use Pepsi-Cola and French fries in worship? It's not done in Scripture that way. But if you were God, you might do it that way. I mean, if I was God, I'd probably have a meatloaf and a sweet tea, and man, that'd be good. Yes, Tim. Mm-hmm. That's not what it says. He said he did not command you to do it. Yeah. He didn't tell him to do it. They're saying, well, he didn't tell you not to do it. He didn't tell you not to do it. But that's not what they said. They said he did not command you to do it. He didn't he doesn't have to tell you. If you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. If you don't do this, he did not command you. There's a difference. There is there's a big difference. As for those who didn't hear him, what Tim said quite rightly, there are people that say that, oh God did not command me not to worship him like this. Well, if you take that to its extension, there are a lot of people whose ideas are, oh, well, God did not command me not to worship God by sacrificing my child to him. Hmm. That doesn't really work, does it? Yes, yes, man. Uh, George, God sets the parameters. Yeah. We as, you know, as creatures need to know what these parameters are. That's right. And, uh, we can't. Along and say, well, this is convenient for me to do 
God sets the parameters. You're quite right. So, so that means I I I I can't have meatloaf and for the Lord's Supper. I know. <laughs> Yeah, but, but that's right. They do. Exactly. Well, there's a big difference when someone does something in ignorance like that. And if you're someone that knows, for example, if we know that we're to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a certain way, like we know that that's the way it's done, but we decide, okay, this morning I feel like I'm having a Pepsi. That, that's quite different. That's showing disrespect. That's knowing what God wants us to do and saying, you know, God, I don't really like the taste of this, so I'm going to have a Pepsi or I'm going to have a Budweiser. You know? Yeah. So the thing is, George, that uh, you spoke the scripture earlier that says that God is a spirit of those that worship him must mm. worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. So if you look at what the Bible defines as truth, which is John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. Mm. That means if you're going to be worshiping God according to truth, you're going to be worshiping God according to his word. Mm. Thy word is truth. It's simple, isn't it? Yeah, that's Tim. I don't know about everybody else. I'm saying this because I do know pretty much about everybody else. Growing up, my early father, I knew what it was like. I knew what a crown was. That's right, it's not, it didn't work. You're saying you didn't say I couldn't take the vehicle this evening. You said I couldn't take it this morning, but <laughs> it doesn't work like that. There's a protocol. And what many people forget is that, you know, we're, we're part of a kingdom. We don't get a vote. It's not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's a kingdom. And there's a protocol in worshipping the king of kings, in worshipping the king, in worshipping the king of the universe, in worshipping God. And in that protocol, well, we learn how to follow that protocol by reading the word of God and studying it. Now, there are many, as Matt quite rightly says, that don't know, and they think that they're worshipping God in spirit and in truth by, by jingling things and dancing and standing on the pulpit and all that. They don't know that that's not the way we're to worship God. They're full of emotionalism, but you know, God's acceptable way of worship was established, so it would be... A, it would be recognizable and it would be doable across all cultures. Because it's not about emotionalism. It's not about feeling good here in your heart. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's about honoring God. And does it look as if it's honoring God if you go into a place where they've got a band playing up, now don't get me wrong, I love music, I love guitars and bands, everything like that, but there's a time and a place for everything. What God has authorized, we must do and follow. Even if it means I don't get my meatloaf. But that's okay, because I'm honoring God. There's a time and a place for everything. 
Now, Nadab and Abihu knew that. These men knew better, and they just blatantly ignored it. When you ignore what God has told you, and you know better, what happens? Isn't it an act of rebellion? It's a sin. You're right. It's a sin. And sin is punished. And in fact, their sin was so bad. Their father, Aaron, the brother of of Moses, these were from a highly esteemed family within the Israelite people. They were told, he was told, don't mourn them. You're not to mourn your sons. They got what was coming to them because of what they did. And that seems terribly harsh to us in our, our modern mindset. But there was a lesson to be learned. God says to do something, you do it. Now the fire of God's wrath came upon them instantly. But if we were to rebel, I mean, I, I guarantee you that if we on Sunday morning had a raffle for a free television, decided to have uh, McDonald's and pizza for the Lord's Supper, decided to change all of our songs to the latest songs in the hit parade, and had a dancing and a, a disco ball swinging around there, we'd be full of people. But we wouldn't be honoring God, would we? Would that be the right thing to do? Wouldn't it be sinful? I mean, we are supposed to live godly lives, make no mistake about it. That's right. But we're not supposed to go around the place saying, you know what, well, God says this, but you know, I think I know better than what, than what God is saying. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think the point is, obviously, we are not perfect. And we do mission mm-hmm. God. Yeah, we do. But in particular in the case of Nadab, this was such a willful thing that, and I... I it's kind of silent. The, the, you know, the verses are silent here. I assume there's more to this story than, than we possibly know, but we know enough, you know, for a lesson to be passed down. To us. But it's, you know, it's that the stakes are real high. The, the, here in Leviticus, it's letting us know how st- high those stakes were. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, Nadab and Abihu to me had always given me the impression that they were rushing at the last minute, just grabbed whatever fire was available. They, they were doing their service to God in a flippant, disrespectful That's manner. It, yeah. and, and that was the disrespect that they were showing to God. Not just the fact that they disobeyed Him, but the manner in which they did it. Mm-hmm. See, that, that, that's the impression that I get when I read about Nadab and Abihu. Yeah, yeah. And you, you see that also with Cain, with his attitude. If he gave God whatever, but Abel gave what God required. There's, there's, there's a big difference between doing what you're told. And, and to, to make a military analogy, if, if, you're, if you're told to go to war against Afghanistan and you're dropping bombs in Paris, you're going to get into trouble. You know, you do what you're told. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, Genesis, I, I, I never really understood about Cain and Abel in Genesis until I read Hebrew. Because mm-hmm. Hebrew chapter 11 tells you by faith, by faith Abel offered a more per- excellent sacrifice to God. That means God told them what he wanted. Abel obeyed. Cain did not. Mm-hmm. Genesis doesn't tell us that Cain was disobeying God in what he was offering. Mm-hmm. But Hebrews does tell us. Hebrews clarifies that for us. You're right. That's exactly what happened. 
and it, it just it just wasn't good enough. You looked throughout the history of the Bible. Was it ever good enough to offer God worship unless it was authorized? Look at King Saul. He was about to go into battle against, against the Philistines. He was supposed to wait for the prophet Samuel to come, but he grew impatient and offered the sacrifice himself. And that was disastrous upon him and upon Israel. If we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, like John said, it's got to be by the book, by the word. And I, I know it seems an incredibly simple thing, but sometimes people get in the way of what's incredibly simple. Yeah, yeah. It's complete Interesting, yeah. And God makes an example. And, but the people wouldn't know, right? The, the people at that, that time would have known really what had gone on. And uh, we know from the scripture what we need to know. Yeah. Other than that, yeah. And, and you hit the nail on the head. The stakes are high. The stakes are very high, and they're very high if we get it wrong as well. Yes, Mac? Exactly. That's it. So, Tim. Well, the parameters are set by the word of God when it comes to worship. And if we go beyond it, it's strange. It's profane, is the word that has absolutely right. In fact, it, the, the biblical meaning of the word actually, it, it, it gives you the idea of perverseness. That there's something perverted because they're perverting what, what should be a, a reverent thing, a beautiful thing, an honorable thing something that's aimed at God as the object of our worship and turned around to glorify ourselves.
Well, that, that's excellent. For those that didn't hear Tim, he was saying his son-in-law, um, who's a historian, said he wanted to get as close as possible to the first century New Testament church. And that, that, that's brilliant. That, that is very encouraging. That, that, that is fantastic. Um, now, obviously, there are limits to what we can do, because if I came in here in a toga, you'd probably have something to say. Or if I... <laughs> Or if, I, or if we decided to have all of our, 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 our services in Greek or Latin, there'd also be a problem. But we don't need to. Yeah, we don't need to do that. But Yeah, yeah, that's right, worship to God. Yeah. But still, it's not that difficult to actually get back to the way they practiced worship in the first century because we're told how they did it. We're showed how they did it. And we're also showed how important it was. How high the stakes were in doing it. Because if we deviated from that, would we be a church of Jesus Christ anymore? If we decided, okay, well, we're going to have the Lord's Supper once a month now. It's going to save us lots of money. Would we be the church of Christ anymore? We wouldn't be. It doesn't matter what the name is up there. If we were to decide that, we're not going to use the Bible anymore, but we're going to use uh, whatever we feel like. We wouldn't be the Church of Christ anymore either. It doesn't matter what the name is there. In order to be his church, and for him not to be outside it like the Laceodians, where he was knocking on the door because Christ was outside the church, we need to not do what they did. And remember, that was the church in Revelation that was neither hot nor cold. That was the church that the Lord said he wanted to vomit out. They literally made him sick. But how could they be restored to being a church of Christ? By obeying what God had said. By obeying what they had been told by the apostles. And that's what is happening in the world today. There is a great hunger to get back to this primitive church. And sadly, with a lot of groups, they, they get back so far, but not quite there. They get back to the 6th century, they get back to the 4th century, not quite there, because they're burdened down with traditions and with doing forms of worship, which they had always done for hundreds of years or a thousand years. But let me ask you, if you're, if you're using a GPS, and we were, we were talking about John using the GPS to go to, to Tampa, well, if that GPS is sending you north towards, towards Tennessee, isn't it time to change the GPS? Because, you know, you're going in. Even if you're up at Chattanooga and you're already there, that's not where you're going. You want to go to Tampa. And it's the same. It's, it's the same. There, there are so many people that say, well, we've been doing this for hundreds of years. It's our tradition. But it's getting in the way of doing what's right, according to God's word. Many times things were added to worship services to please people. For example, musical instruments were introduced in the year 666. Yeah, you remember that name, 666. They were introduced into the Western churches by 
the popes. Now, the pope brought it in because his family made, guess what, musical instruments. They were going to make a fortune. That was when they brought it in. It wasn't solidified until the 10th century. It was one of the reasons why there were splits in, in, in Europe at that time. But it just shows there was a selfishness. There was a willfulness to offer worship to God that would suit the worshiper instead of suiting the object of our worship. And that's the point of the scriptures, that, that we are to worship God as he would have us worship him, without adding anything to it and without removing anything from it. It's really simple. And have you ever thought, have you ever wondered, why is it so simple to worship God? It's because we can worship him anywhere on the Lord's day. We don't have to have a church building. Now, a church building is not evil. It's just a, it's a convenience, a place for us to meet. But there are people in the Lord's church that are meeting in caves. They're meeting in homes on a Sunday. They're meeting in countries where if it is discovered that they are Christians, they could be murdered for doing it. But are their acts of worship, as long as it's done according to the scripture, any less worthy or any less correct? Are they any less a church of Christ because they worship under the shadow of a gun? Not at all. Not at all. I would say they're more. They're more so. They're more so. Than, than the ones who do it in the comfort of their safety. Yeah. Because their their faith is actually costing them. And it didn't didn't uh, Jesus say that we should we should count it joy when we're persecuted for His name's sake? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I I do remember an account of a church meeting in Cuba. I think this was the 1960s, the 70s. And two soldiers burst in at machine guns. And at that time, the Cuban, the communists were infiltrating churches, you know, to, to say, oh, he's a Christian, he's a Christian, let's get rid of them. And they went in the door with the guns and they said, we're here to execute the Christians. If you're a, not a Christian, if you're an agent for Castro, you can get up. And a few people got up and left. The people in there thought they were going to die and they put down the guns and they said, now we know who the real Christians are. I do believe that church went underground pretty fast. I do think we'll have the cream of the crop when it becomes a crime to gather together to worship, an actual crime. When people are actually afraid to come to church. We're so blessed in America to have this. It's not like that everywhere. When I was growing up, the first thing I would do when we went to worship was I would look for the escape exit because it was just waiting for our local communists or fascists or whatever they were that week to burst in a machine gun and try and shoot us or throw a grenade in. And they did things like that. They even burnt down my school, but I, I, was, I wasn't too displeased about that, personally. That was a known goal. George, yes. Yeah, maybe, but the, the ironic thing is that they were teaching us their propaganda in the school. Well, they, <laughs> there's an American joke, you know, going around in America, you know, talking about people staying in the same grade so long, you know. <laughs> they had to burn the schoolhouse down to get out of there. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. But we are, we're really blessed to be able to gather together and worship here. And we have that privilege of doing what is right. 
We're privileged to have the word of God. Turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. Here we go. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. The instructions were given in Scripture when it comes to doing the things of God is to walk after the steps that have been laid out for us in God's Word. And one of the most important things of all is to realize and to understand that God must be the object of our worship. It's not about ourselves. It's not about other people seeing us coming and and saying, oh, look how great they are. It's about people seeing us worship God and thinking, what have they got? What is it about their God that gives them such peace? What is it about their God that compels them to gather together to worship him in spirit and in truth? Quite often you would hear in lots of different places people say things like, I didn't get anything out of worship. But what are we supposed to get out of worship? Is it not a sense of doing what is right, of fulfilling our duty to God to the letter? Many would say, well, worship services are boring. It's not doing anything for me. It's not cheering me up. It's not pleasing me. It's not about us. It's about him. We should have the satisfaction of knowing after a worship service that we have worshipped God correctly, that we have pleased him. And knowing that we have pleased him Find satisfaction there. And there are important questions also that are relative to our worship. Do we go to worship to be entertained? We live in a society where it's all about us. It's all about our entertainment. And we don't worship God to entertain him. We worship him to honor him. There's a big difference. And do we worship God? Do we go to worship services to be spectators and just observe what's happening and not be participants? I've seen far too many people when it comes to, to singing. Now, if you can't sing or if your voice isn't up to it, that's different. But when you can sing and you refuse to sing, well, what's, what's that saying? I mean, God doesn't say that we all have to be a Pavarotti or Sarah Brightman. We don't have to be great singers. He said, make a joyful noise. He didn't say it had to be joyful for everybody. To just sing. Do we go to worship to see a performance? Well, brethren, if you're expecting me to do a handstand on this, you're sadly mistaken. It's not going to happen. But I do know of a place not that far away from here where they do that. So to whom do we offer our spiritual sacrifices? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. By him, therefore, 
Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're ever out in a restaurant and, and someone brings a meal to someone and they just take them and they don't say thank you, that, that gets on my nerves. You expect people to say thanks when they do something for you. Now, I'm saying thank you all the time. But isn't that a good thing to do? Well, shouldn't we always remember to thank God in our prayers? To thank God that we can pray to him as Christians. To thank God for Jesus, for all that he has done for us and is still doing for us. To thank God for the word that gives us those instructions whereby we know we are honoring him and pleasing him according to his will. When we follow the word of God, then we lift up God in praise with our lips, with our hearts and our minds. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the heart, but it's not really talking about the emotional heart like the way we do in our songs in the Western world. The biblical heart is the mind, the intellect. So we know why we're worshipping him. And we're worshipping him with deliberate cause, in a deliberate way that honours him. and by reading God's word by concentrating on it by worshipping him according to what we are told to and how we are told to worship him then we move our worship from being man-centred in the way that Cain was, Nadab and Abihu Saul, King Saul was and so many others are to a God-centred worship and that changes things doesn't it? The object of our worship must always be the Lord our God, never ourselves, because it's all about him. And when we apply that to our lives, we know that we're pleasing him in every way that he requires us to please him. So there's no guesswork. It takes all the guesswork out of it for us, doesn't it? As Christians, we are richly blessed. And let us continue to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I better give John the chance to get it. <laughs> Thank you for your attention. Yeah. 655 is the song. 655.